Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Okay, guys, we're back. We're back for one more episode on this critical thinking, uh, how you should think episode. Uh Uh-huh. And in the last episode, we ended in this interesting spot where we said, on the one hand, you should pay attention to someone's character in the sense that someone not practicing what they preach or making an earnest effort at practicing what they preach is probably someone you should meet with some kind of skeptical eye. However, mm-hmm. you shouldn't only rely on character judgments because you could be focusing on things that are irrelevant to the task at hand. So like you said, maybe I am a bad person um, let's not use me as an example because it sounds weird to say that, but <laughs> let's say there's someone who, I don't know, see, I don't want to say something bad and then be like, that's not that big of a, a deal. Um, let's say someone that built a bridge and it was like a bad bridge and the bridge fell, which is less bad than the thing I was going to say before. Um Wow, that's that's less bad. Well, people dying with a bridge falling—that's bad. It's, that's it, not this bad. Wow. Um, what you were thinking like being Hitler? I, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> but no, I'm not thinking that. I have to put that out there. Um, so let's say you you're an engineer, and then you build a bridge, and then you it didn't work. Like that doesn't mean everything you then say about engineering is wrong. Or maybe you were mean to someone. And then now you're making a comment about some field of expertise, like maybe you're a psychologist and then you're given some insight or like you're a, a mathematician and you're giving some insight. And then someone's like, hey, well, I heard you were mean to your brother. Like that's yeah. that's a character joke. Or when people will do things like, well, you know, MLK hit his wife. Right. They'll yeah. say things like that. And it's like, OK, there's bad things about that, but you can't use unrelated or not entirely related character judgments as a means of brushing off every single thing. And I think it's what you were getting at. And that's like an ad hominem. Absolutely. And that seemed, it's more common than, than some people might think. Um, But again, it seems to be the basis for all sorts of things that can go wrong, right? When you do that, and I see this constantly, you're not, you're not on social media. So lucky. Yeah, luckily. Uh, but you can see you see this all over the place and constantly. It is always like, well, this guy is not trustworthy uh, because you know one day he just left his child unattended for three minutes. Yeah, so yeah. How would I trust this guy with anything that he does? And that's that is scary because, oh, well, first of all, it's scary from a, almost a, an individual perspective, right? Because then we're if the world works this way. 
you make one mistake mm-hmm. in whatever field of your life mm-hmm. and you end up being trapped by this mistake forever. Yes. It's like it's like we we seem to live in what I like to call a gigantic justice system that keeps on eating up everything. Yes. And that all of us, whatever mistake you make, becomes pretty much a felony in life and disqualifies you from doing anything else or from saying anything else, which is really scary. And definitely this way of thinking is not a good way. Yeah, it's like some weird uh, perverted form of of Nietzsche's eternal recurrence where you do a thing and then now you suffer the thing for all eternity. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, the the <laughs> that could be a good analogy. Yes, definitely a, a a bad kind of eternal return. A bad, no, exactly. And and it's funny because this is like this is going to sound weird. This is the the quote unquote better form of ad hominem because yeah, <laughs> the worst form of ad hominem is just you saying, "Hey, you're stupid. Hey, you're crazy. I don't believe you." Where you literally just insult someone instead of engaging with the the form or the content of their argument. Yeah, which that form of ad hominem seems to to define the entire American politics in the past, like, 20 years. And and social media again, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, this seems to be the, the way in which people uh, seem, to, seem to, to reason right now. It's like the all hey, boomer stuff, right? Or <laughs> the Karen stuff, right? Yeah, all yeah, definitely. All, all the, it's like, uh, yeah, whatever. You don't know anything. It's, 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 and I don't. And this seems to, again, seems to be an, a lazy way again of doing things, uh, of thinking. But this also shows, um, how can we say, this unwillingness to be charitable towards other people, mm-hmm. right? This seems to, to, to display some sort of um, meanness that we have developed. Uh, towards other people because we're not willing to to kind of put aside and even for a moment whatever mistake somebody might have made uh in the in the in the better form of aluminum and for the worst form we're not even able to put on the side just our instinct to insult first right instead of instead of putting that on the side we're like uh and thinking like wait a minute Maybe this sounds stupid to me right now, but it's not stupid. Maybe I should. Maybe I'm the one who's supposed to do some work and try to understand what this person is saying. Now we don't do that, and and again, it's it's really worrisome. It seems that we're going towards a, um, a period of time where we all getting callous, mm. pretty much. Yeah, and I think that a lot of this ad hominem stuff happens within a, a larger bubble of groupthink. Mm-hmm. And related to this is a certain so so we have this thing called false dichotomy, right? Whereas when you assert that there's two possible options and these are the only two possible options and there's there's no third option, so some dichotomies exist, right? Like there's a zero and a one in a computer. There's on and off if you're talking about a TV. But sometimes people assert two options as if they were the only two, but there's more than two, and yeah. One of the big ones, and Jonathan Haidt talks about this, is this idea of like us and them, right? And like everyone, ta- has, mm-hmm. you know, this is like a historically popular uh, phenomenon to explore. It's like me, good, you, evil. 
And so we, we break mm-hmm. people down into these two categories. And if you associate with me, I'm good. If I associate with you, I'm good. And like we need to separate ourselves off from these bad, evil people. So by thinking in these tribal dichotomies, which is a, a result of groupthink, it results in a lot of these ad homonyms. And if I'm being honest, I think that this is the same kind of thing that happens when little kids are in the schoolyard where it's like, well, I don't want to be considered weird. I don't want to get made fun of. I don't want to be an outcast. So like, I'm just going to join them. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to make fun of this person or I'm going to criticize this person's humanity or something. Or like, they're not even a person because it makes me feel better about myself and more secure in me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, so um, let me start by saying that I agree mainly with what with all the things you said, uh, at least with most of them. Um, I'm thinking that so this this us and them dichotomy that you you're describing, right? Um, I'm thinking of this again, the name dropping. Uh, that this uh, there's this thinker, this German thinker. His name is Adam Schmidt. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not Adam Schmidt, Karl Schmidt. Um, that says that um, actually politics is based on this dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. The dichotomy being friends and enemies. Um, so that we need almost to survive as a political group, as a, as a nation almost, right? He would say, to distinguish between us and them. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be, you know, trickled down to all levels. That now it has trickled down to... Uh, factions inside society, which is also something that Karschmidt says as well. Um, so he, he answered this question: like, what is the what is the main what is the basic of politics? Is this dichotomy between friends and enemy? Um, it would say, if you think of ethics, the dichotomy is good and evil, right? Um, so there are two things that are scary about this. Number one, that if is right. Uh, we're in trouble because this thing is more endemic than what we, what we think. But that's a, probably a little bit off topic because we're talking about the dichotomy stuff rather than this specific dichotomy. And the other thing is that uh, it was one of the ideologues of Nazism. And he used it. Mm. He used, again, I'm not, saying, I'm not using it as a character stuff, right? I'm not, I'm not going with that. I'm not dominant with him. He used this theory to justify what happened in the 30s. Hmm. Um, so I think that if we start noticing that this is what's happening more and more and that we create these false dichotomies that all reinforce this big one, we are in some sort of trouble here. No, I, I, and, definitely, I definitely agree. And I think that um, kind of unmask the fact that this dichotomy is not essential it doesn't have to inform everything that we do is important right um in other words there is a level in which this needs to be there right in order for me to be an individual i need to distinguish myself from the other right Mm -hmm. but this doesn't mean then the other needs to become the enemy right or that there's not a third thing exactly or a fourth thing or a fifth thing or whatever Yeah, yeah absolutely so 
yeah, that's that's a no-no as well. This false dichotomy stuff. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. We should be able to amass the fact that no matter what somebody says, there might be more than two options. Because it seems so. For me, this is tied a to an over reliance on emotion. I would say. Okay. Um, in that you're making decisions, and this is interesting, not critically, but emotion. So I'm just revealing. Um, inadvertently that I'm thinking that emotional thinking isn't critical thinking or at the very least overly emotional thinking isn't critical thinking because um, hmm. you're not appealing to logic, right? You're not appealing to, to reason. Yeah. So there's that. And the other thing I was thinking is that when you attempt to reduce everything to dichotomies, because again, I'm not saying there's not dichotomies. I think, I think we get to a point where people think there's no dichotomies, and that's wrong. But when you try to reduce everything to oversimplified dichotomies in this tribal way, you lose nuance. You lose, yeah. com- you lose complexity. And it seems like whatever critical thinking is, it would necessarily involve nuance and complexity. And I guess you could say for all of the fallacies and cognitive errors that we've talked about so far, maybe they all involve some element of like nuance erasure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it seems to be the common denominator here it seems to be oversimplification. Uh, the, the, the goal of that oversimplification might be different in every of these things that, you know, in each one of these things that we have mentioned, but it seems to be, right? I'm oversimplifying with authorities so I don't have to think. I'm oversimplifying with, well, it seems to be the case for almost all of them. Um, I just want to go back for a second to what you said, to the difference that you made between emotional thinking and rational, logical thinking, which guys, I think that there is, uh, there is fire there, right? <laughs> there was the smoke. Uh, for some fire, yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that you that you think that these two things are not compatible. I don't know if I said uh, that, but I'm, but, I, but I'm wondering if that's not a false dichotomy. <laughs> you got me. No, um, I don't. I think. Let me see. How would I phrase it more accurately? I don't think that all emotional decisions are or should be devoid of rational rationality and i don't think that all rational thinking is devoid from an emotional base so like i don't mean that Mm -hmm. what i mean is that sometimes you can make decisions based on discovering what is like what the truth is and by thinking through things clearly and considering what is possible and impossible, and necessary, and contingent, um, and looking at forms of arguments, and looking for consistency, mm-hmm. right? So that's what I mean when I'm talking about logic or reason. But sometimes you don't even get to do those things because you get so caught up in your immediate mental or emotional state, and you think that nothing is real other than that immediate emotional or mental state. And it actually prevents you from seeing things for what they actually are, and it prevents you from moving closer towards the truth because it in itself is a kind of 
distortion um, of reality and maybe even a defense mechanism sometimes. Um, so, again, let me start with saying that I agree with most of the things you said. Okay, that's a good starting point. We're uh, like at a C plus right now. <laughs> no, not <laughs> don't don't. Um, no, in that sense, I think that you're right. I think also that this is a very classical. Um, by classical, I mean, you know, when we look back in history, the classics yes. wave of understanding the role of emotion uh, within our thinking. I agree. Emotion has always been this. Uh, this force that can cloud your judgment from one reason or another, right? It's the thing that doesn't make you see clearly stuff. It's the thing that, you know, hides evidence from you instead of revealing it for you. And that is true um, depending on the kind of emotions that you're considering, mm. though. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, that what you mean is that there are certain emotions that have the tendency of doing that to you. It's like being drunk. Yes, there are some emotions that lead you to, for example, to having some knee-jerk reaction, right? Mm -hmm. uh, anger will be one of those, right? If you're angry, you just you know jump to a conclusion that you shouldn't jump to, or you do something you're not supposed to. Um, I don't know, sometimes love might lead you to, to do something stupid, right? Or to think something, you're, you're so uh, drunk with love that whatever the person that you love or this thinker that you love says, you'll be like, yes, he's right. Yes, she's right. Um, so I agree with that. But I also think that Western civilization in general, um, but specifically from the Enlightenment on, we have the tendency of throwing away the baby with the bathwater. Hmm. I think that it is necessary to recognize that even uh, in the search of the truth, there is an emotional um, component that we cannot deny because otherwise we become machines. Mm, okay. And what, what do you think and that I, emotional component is? Uh, well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's Sophia at the end of the day, right? Is, Gotta love her. I, I think it, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's this, it's this uh, um, I don't know. I'm thinking of the symposium. I'm thinking of Plato. I'm thinking of the fact that that needs to be there, that desire, uh, which is not necessarily rational, right? Mm -hmm. It's a desire, that emotion, that the thrill of the – maybe I'm describing the way I think things are, right? I get, I get this. this um, I get into this emotional state when it comes to uncover and, and, you know, and figure out stuff. It's not just the tools are rational, but the emotion needs to be there because otherwise my interest is not there. That, I do agree with that. Um, I, if it sounded like that's what I was separating, I don't think that was, that was my intent because I do agree with you that in order to pursue the truth rationally, you have to mm -hmm. like have this care right, or this will or excitement or passion mm -hmm. or love um, or Sophia <laughs> uh, in order to drive the car, so to speak. I think merely what I was saying is that you shouldn't let that will then get in, in the way of your tool use. Like you, sh yeah. you shouldn't let your, your blind, passionate love distract you when you're using a, a table saw. 
Um, so definitely I'll go a step forward and I'll, I'll, I'll step you know, beyond that. And I will say that the, the, the love, the desire, your interest, all this emotional, uh, all this emotion that you feel uh, while you're doing this, this uncovering, right? When you're analyzing what's happening, right? Uh, they have to inform, uh, they need to inform again your search, right? But not only cannot interfere with the tools, but it definitely cannot interfere with the conclusion that you draw. Yeah, I would agree. The trail needs to be throughout the discovery. But then the moment you get that discovery, you need to be uh, uh, the, the, the cool as a cucumber, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you look at it. Uh, when you look at it. Um, that's the moment where you where you want to be like, hey, that's what I got. And, you know, the, the, the law has to be for the process, not for the result that you want to have. And then if you don't like it, you get upset or you don't accept uh, the results that you get because of that, that, that desire that you have. It doesn't have to be – your emotions don't have to be the prejudice <laughs> – that is that that puts in front of between you and and the truth yeah and that's exactly the thing i was referring to that i was saying was uncritical thinking was was that exact thing you said gotcha and do you think uh since we're talking about this uh do you think that this happens uh often that people are clouded so um what do you think that makes people believe in things that are patently from our perspective unbelievable (laughs) Because I'm sure, can we, can, do you have in mind something that, that you're like, how can people even believe this? Do we have something in, you know, that... So I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of something that doesn't involve me relying on an authority figure. Because if I do that, someone's going to be like, well, you're just relying on... Because I was going to say the flat earth thing. But someone's yeah. going to be like, well, <laughs> you, you have been never space. been to space, right? So... I'm trying not to do that thing. Um, Okay, here's one that we talk about a lot that I think is so unbelievable that when people assert it, they don't actually believe it. They're just making noise. And to me, that's the relativism thing. Okay. There's no... No one believes that. There's two reasons why. Number one... (laughs) It's impossible, right? This is like when I when I hear people who try to to argue for absolute relativism, and I'm like, okay, but in order to do that, you have to presuppose that relativism is not true, right? So we'll talk about non-contradiction and identity, right? So A is A, A is not not. This is like a big pet peeve of mine, if you can't tell. And people will be like, well, that's maybe true for you, but not blah blah blah. There are no absolute. And I'm like, okay. So your this is what I do. I say, so your position is that you know, there are no universal truths. And I'll be like, yeah. And I'll be like, okay. Is that different from the position that there is universal truths? And they say, yeah. And then I say, okay. So, so you've just proved my point because my position and your position are distinct things because they are what they are and not the other thing, right? So it's, it's yeah, not real. Yes. But, okay. but the second thing that bothers me is that, and we've talked about this so many times, it's more of like a, 
sounding deep thing that I kind of oh, yeah. think sounds <laughs> interesting rather than a thing yeah. I think about. Because when you realize you're like, oh, so then like cutting babies' heads off is cool, right? Because like it's, it's mm-hmm. relative. Um, once you realize that, you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's bad. Oh, so yeah. is, is, is this a good example for you or no? Uh, it is. Not, not a glamorous one, but it okay. is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's good. It's good. No, but I'm so. I'm, I was thinking of something more, uh, less discipline specific, but that, that will oh, work. Oh, yeah. I know. I, I took it. To, let's do something more simple. Okay. I apologize. No, for no, it's that. fine. It's fine. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the fact that, uh, so what, what are the elements there that, why do you think people get there? You just said it's, do you think it's just this appeal to coolness? <laughs> To, to this this false oh this is interesting um because because i'm thinking so this might not be a good example if you think that in reality nobody really believes that because what's interesting to me are those examples where people fully buy into whatever soundbite or whatever theory is out there and they commit to it yeah to the point that this is it i'm i don't know a good example, but not a good example at the same time, is uh, what is called the, the the Tom Cruise uh, cult. Uh, Scientology. Scientology. Okay. Okay. Yes. Scientology. Uh, it's like I don't. I every time I I hear about this, mm-hmm. I don't understand how people can buy into this, and yet there are hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people, that buy into this. Hmm. And h- how does that happen? What fallacious reasoning is in there? What's happening in, my he- in their heads? Because again, to me, look, it's completely foreign to me, mm-hmm. the possibility to fall for something like that. And I'm saying it's a good example, but not a good example, because I don't know much about it. The few things that I know seems absurd to me. So. Right, right. Uh, but this is the kind of stuff that I'm thinking of. Because again, if if you think the relativism works that way, uh, the people fully buy into it, then good example. Otherwise, otherwise not if you so think much. that they're just, otherwise if you think that they're just being, you know, trying to to sound cool, uh, but don't they really be, they don't really believe that? That's bad. You shouldn't do that either. But that that wasn't the question. So I, I think there I think there's both types. I do think that there are people who genuinely believe that they believe in it okay i do believe that and if you're asking why do i think people fall for it a couple of things come to mind and i'm I'm wondering if these also apply some of them to the scientology example you gave um or or flat earth right or lizard people Mm -hmm. or anything like that um the one thing is I guess if you think about ideology in general, it justifies everything. Yeah. Definitely. Right? So, like, once you're part of this thing, you're like, well, I have all the answers. Right? Like, it is absolutely, <laughs> it is, and with relativism, it's ironic, right? Because it's like, I have the absolute truth that there are no absolute truths or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, I think that's part of it. It's like, you, you feel like you fall into something that's impervious. And now, therefore, you are impervious. Because the cult 
kind of mentality, right? Mm. I'm part of this cult that does for me a lot of things, right? It gives me a sense of community. It also does for me all the work that I need to do, meaning that he refuses all false answers to me and he tells me this is a core. So it seems to be a mix of almost all the things that we have mentioned, yeah, right? definitely, definitely. And, and I'm wondering if, you know, the other thing that strikes me always is how difficult it is for people that believe in this, let's call it conspiracy theories, right? If people, how people that believe in these things, they're so impervious to change. It's so difficult to move them out and away from this, from these theories, right? Mm -hmm. That seems to be nothing that you say that can change their mind no matter how analytical you are and pick apart every single thing uh, and show them, prove to them that, um, that they are wrong, there's always, again, they're, not, they're never conceding, right? Yeah, it's, it's and, not like they're saying, given all of the evidence I have, I'm sticking with this position. What they're saying is, Regardless of the evidence you present me with, I'm always going to posit this same position and nothing could convince me otherwise. Hmm. I'm actually think that's even more radical than that. I think that it is the fact that you are showing me these things is actually confirmation of what I believe. Oh. In fact, you, by telling me these things, you're proving to me that we are surrounded by all these people that want to kind of uh, seduce me and make me believe in things that are not true. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that is, so I think that that is a clear explanation of the mistake that we make sometimes when we encounter these people. Um, we tend to believe that the moment I show them evidence, this will burst the, will burst the, the bubble, right? Yeah that the moment they're presented with the inconfutable truth, finally they'll concede. And instead, no, they use that as fuel to show that you're on the outside and they're on the inside. And it reinforces this group thinking, sort of, so, so to speak, of which you were talking about. It reinforces this sense of belonging. So definitely, that seems not to be a good... Again, this is why, you know... Uh, when we talk about the post-truth you know, world in which we live, uh, the fact that facts don't matter anymore, I don't think that that's the case. Facts do matter because these people are also based their conviction on facts, quote-unquote. Mm -hmm. It's their own facts, mm -hmm. right? And they do their analysis probably. It's just that they do not... It's They don't trust whatever is outside. It's literally a cult. Yeah. They don't trust what comes from the outside, and they use it, what comes from outside, as a way to reinforce the fact that they are surrounded, right? That they're surrounded by these people that want to, to, to say something, something that's untrue. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing you're describing, the more I think about it, does seem just like the, the collection of all of the fallacies we were talking about, right? Where there's, exactly. there's an authority, there's a confirmation bias... There's emotional thinking. There's false dichotomy, right? Um, and at the end of the day, it, like I think these people are are drunk, 
Again, I don't mean that literally, but it's the same kind of thing. Um, Some of them are really so bad, but that's... <laughs> it could be, right? The, the cult that, that thinks uh, drinking is truth or something like that. I think there was a South Park episode about that. <laughs> no, but yes, yes, I think... Um, I think you're right. I think they are inebriated with with this cult. It's like Matrix, uh, right? It's like everyone wants to believe that they discovered the Matrix. Correct, correct. correct. And um, and I guess the, the so let's assume let's assume that we have escaped the cave, right? It's the Allegro of the cave. Those people are in the cave. Oh yeah, right? you're right. Yeah. Uh, let's assume that we have escaped the cave. And now it is our duty mm-hmm. <laughs> to conflate Kant and Plato uh, to go back and tell these people that they're in the cave. How do we do that without getting killed, hopefully? <laughs> and how do you know whether you're doing it in the right way? Like whether you actually exactly. have left the cave or whether you've just like entered another room of the cave and then I'm coming back, exactly. right? Exactly. How do we do this? Like, how do you? How, how do we know? How to be a good missionary? How do we know that? Exactly. Uh, so, first of all, how do we? How can we be sure that we are not into another cave? <laughs> uh, and secondly, and probably, you know, not most importantly, but same as important as the other one. How do we do that? Mm. Is it first of all? Is it possible for somebody to unshackle somebody else and bleed them out? Or is that something that we do? We have to do individually. I think that's. That's a good way of looking at mm. it. And if, if it is possible to help somebody, how do you do it in a way that does not reinforce all, what, what we just said, right? Because it seems like that presenting facts is not good enough. That reinforces the, the cult yes. stuff. So how do we do that then? That, and that's a weird position, right? Because if you're saying yeah. using reasoning doesn't work, then you're saying in order to convince someone it's sometimes justified to use non-rational means. And I feel like that's kind of a concerning principle, right? Because you have to be like, well, I think this is the truth and this should be the ideal for convincing people, but I have to admit that it doesn't like always work. So what's an acceptable amount of doing that thing? Um, or maybe, uh, Or maybe we need to use our rational tools in a way that it's not here I present you the truth mm, right right maybe I need to use this rational tool that I have in order to show this other person somehow again or maybe that's impossible maybe <laughs> the only thing that you can do is do it yourself right it's like I cannot maybe I cannot teach you you know critical thinking you have to bump into it somehow this is tough because it's it certainly can't be impossible because there are examples of people quote-unquote getting out and even if you talk about actual quotes right like people who have left uh the westboro baptist church or like people who have left um flat earth i feel like i had a student that said oh i used to be a flat earther and i did all this stuff with him and now now i'm not right (laughs) So it happens. I guess the question is, how does it happen? How much of when it ha- like how much of what happens is due to me myself fostering the the change, 
and how much of it is someone else um, influencing me to make the change. And I don't know. And I'm going to use, I'm going to be someone who uses the thing out of context now because Heidegger has this phrase called the call of conscience. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, thank you, I take from the best, um, (laughs) that when you have that realization, it, it involves something like a call to conscience. And I guess what I'm wondering is, does any amount of someone doing something externally result in you having that call or... Is it something that ultimately is has to be facilitated by yourself? And I think what I'm going to say is it ultimately has to be rooted within yourself, but I don't think it's that can exist um, detached from outside stuff, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I agree with you. I was saying, I was making, you guys don't see, I was making the, the two signs because I think that both of those oh, I, I, thought you were, right. I thought you were warning me of something. No, no I wasn't warning you. Um, the two things need, are needed, both mm-hmm. of them, right? Um, I think, again, to oversimplify this thing, I think that the seed of doubt needs to be in you, which I think is the call of consciousness of which you're talking mm-hmm. about in this case. The seed of doubt needs to be in there, uh, but you also need somebody that can, instead of pushing you out of the cave, right, lead you and show you, hey, look, if you go this way, mm-hmm. you, you, can, you can do it. That's absolutely oversimplifying, right? I think that, and it's funny because um, for all the rational thinking though, tools that we, we are, we are uh, employing to, to unmask all these fallacies that we have mentioned, I think that uh, one thing that you said that we didn't, we didn't necessarily call out as being a rational way of doing this, um, actually is one of the most effective stuff, um, which is this leading by example thing that we were talking mm-hmm. about before. I think that it's easy. And, and again, I'll use kids uh, as an example again. I have noticed that the best way for me to teach something to my kids is not by telling them to do that, but as it, it is them observing me doing something over and over again and then eventually they'll pick it up and they do it over and over again as well and some of these things are good some of these things are bad um, because if they watch you I don't know uh, put your socks on the floor every day <laughs> for 12 years then you'll find that you have like two kids that do exactly the same mm-hmm. thing right uh, but sometimes it's just good things and I think that this is this is why and how uh, we all have a responsibility towards someone else because what we do and coherence and the way we we carry ourselves and the things that we say, uh, they're always observed by somebody else. And if you have that in mind, you will all you always again, if you feel if you're a philosopher, right, you want to make sure that the example that those people are following leads to the truth, mm-hmm. not away from it. And I think that this is the discreet way to help people that are trapped in these caves. Because again, uh, putting them in their face that they're wrong, right? That doesn't seem to help. 
Well, maybe instead helping them to have this, I read this article um, about this professor. Um, I apologize. I don't remember uh, the, the name. Uh, this is, he, teaches, uh, he teaches in Utah, uh, University of Utah. That um, he was saying that, um, you know, there is the need of a, these people need a cognitive reboot mm. that actually cannot come from outside because otherwise it's brainwashing. Mm-hmm. It needs to come from the inside. Um, but you can help the cognitive reboot. Once they have decided they want to reboot, you can kind of show them the way in which this reboot is done. Uh, but again, maybe this is just uh, utopic and this doesn't happen, but I think that that is the best option. It sounds like Socrates in the sense that you need a gadfly to turn on the light bulb, right? So the light bulb yep. has to turn on itself, but you need the, the gadfly to help the light bulb turn itself on I, and I, I think this is the way of meeting the two realms you're talking about yeah i think uh, yeah something similar to that again i don't know which one comes first <laughs> if the if the seed of doubt or seeing somebody that seems uh respectable and reasonable to you doing something that's completely against what you believe mm-hmm. uh i don't know which one comes first but those two things need their need to be there together uh, and I cannot, I couldn't stress more the fact that calling somebody's names and say that somebody doesn't know what they're doing, even if you're doing that with plenty of evidence, mm-hmm. that is not conducive for to to letting these people out of the cave. Absolutely. No, not. that that seems probably right. And I think the the balance there would be how do you not do that while also embodying like a firm commitment to the truth and standing up for what you believe in. So, so you do have to speak the truth and act towards the things you speak about, but yeah, you don't, I know what you're saying. Like basically don't go out of a way to belittle a person or something like that. Exactly. And something, something in addition to what you're saying is that probably for a lot of people, they, find their way out of something, so to speak, after they see bad results continually. Like, like I mm-hmm. think a lot of the time people rationalize the bad results and they're like, oh, well, it's bad now, but it's going to get better. Or they'll be like, but it's not actually bad, you see, because here's this grander scheme. Um, but I do think after like repeated exposure to consequences that are, I guess I could say bad, but sometimes like antithetical even to your original principles. When that happens, when you see the thing turn back on itself, when you see the thing eat itself, I think a lot of people are like, oh. And then, you know, the spell is, is, disappears from in front of their eyes or whatever. Yeah, I think that's that's right. That's a component that's there too. Unfortunately, some people seem to be immune to that as well though. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of these gurus oh, until the 80s. I used to be like, uh, even the 90s, but up to the 80s was pretty common. These gurus that will gather people that eventually they have them commit mass suicide. Right? Oh, like uh, the, uh, the Kool-Aid thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, I think some people somehow uh, are fooled into, into, into thinking, or again, Scientology or whatever else. 
uh, it's difficult uh, for people. But I, I, so I think you raise a good point uh, saying that you need commitment to the truth. You need to speak the truth no matter what. Um, but we need to find a way of doing that without belittling somebody, without making somebody feel like they're less. Because, again, that's, that doesn't help. Mm. That doesn't help. I think he helps more. It will help more if they see you almost respecting the fact that they're searching for some sort of meaning in a different way and without conceding that they're searching uh, for that for that meaning uh correctly um i think it's 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 possible to balance this act right i think it's possible for you to be truthful and to keep on saying yeah i don't believe what you believe i think that you're wrong about this and that but I think that if we will concede the fact that, hey, these people at the end of the day are trying to do exactly what I'm doing, which is give meaning to their life and put together this chaos that surrounds me and give it, give it order, and they can truly see and appreciate that, I think you have more of a chance at having a true discussion and eventually uncover some inconsistency that might lead to this cognitive reboot. Well, I think that probably... One way to approach this kind of thing is to not only look at the thing that they're doing, but to look at why they're doing it. Right? Like, what is, what is exactly. their motivation? Um, what is their reason? And to try and either com- like communicate in a way that also appeals to that motivation, but in a way that's more fruitful, or to try and, if it's a negative motivation, to get rid of the conditions that cause the negative motivation, right? Because it could be the case that they only have the motivation because of, I don't know, things that have happened to them or something, right? And so if you can correct for that, then you, you know, remove the magnet and then you remove the thing they're, they're magnetized to, it just kind of naturally collapses or whatever, yeah, yeah, and, um, I'm in agreement with that. I, I, while you were talking, I was thinking, there's also another complication that I think that makes this hard, mm-hmm. which is you don't want to sound condescending. Oh either. my God! Right? So, yeah. Right? You you, you don't want to you don't want to be like, oh, I understand you. You know, you poor little guy. I, I got you. Now that that's not good no, either. No. It's so difficult. Yeah. It's uh, well, if it, if it was easy, you know, we would already be done with philosophy that's true it's it's not easy uh there's like an infinite amount of variables there and as you said yes the the, the motivation the motivation aspect is is an important one but also this is why Uh, i think it's important to have criteria that are objective i know you know we haven't talked about this word but what i mean by that is to have a set of standards that applies to people equally and that is independent yeah. of your own personal um, you know, volition or something like that. Because so much of this stuff is, I feel this, therefore it must be right. And so you get into this situation where you're A, having to convince someone that like, the feelings are wrong or that they shouldn't let the feelings determine what the truth is or trying to explain like, no, 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 but that's not how reality works, right? Like literally 
your feelings do not mm-hmm. determine what reality is. So I, I think one way of avoiding this kind of quote-unquote condescending thing that you're talking about is to appeal to a set of standards that like also applies to you. So it's not here yeah. is a person being the oracle, right? Like giving out all of the things. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. here are the, the standards that we all have the potential to meet and that we can all be judged by. And you can make a case for why the standards, you know, are good. And I think that's a hard task in itself. But at the end of the day, I think we do, we're taking for granted um, the fact that in order to do any of this stuff that me and you are saying, um, you have to first admit that there is a thing called actuality that's independent of me and that there is this thing called truth which is a correspondence to that thing called actuality because once that go and that there is a law of identity and there is a law of non-contradiction <laughs> um, because once that goes out the window, there's nothing. There's nothing. Yeah, of course, I, I cannot disagree with you. I think that sometimes we want to be careful uh, about the scope of these principles that we're talking about. If we're talking this basic principle that you just mentioned, definitely. Those are unavoidable and those are uh, possibly objective. Um, I will add um, another level to what you said. So you said you need, we need to agree on this with these principles, right? Uh, you, we, need to, uh, we, we need to accept this shared language. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're in trouble, pretty much. And I will add that it is necessary for you to consider yourself fallible. Yes, in order to yes. do that. If you cannot contemplate the fact that you're wrong, we can share all the principles in the world. Nothing is moving. And uh, also going, going back a second to what you were saying, at, uh, you were saying that people, you know, uh, the feeling stuff, right? The people sometimes interpret reality through feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with that. I think this happens a lot. Um, and it is hard to tell somebody that what they're feeling is wrong. Mm-hmm. But I also think that sometimes, uh, and I'm culpable of this, sometimes we have the tendency of thinking that people are doing that while in reality they're using, in, they think they're using their, their critical thinking uh, to do that. So I think that if we go back to the cult-like stuff, I think that these people are again, incurring in all, a bunch of all these fallacious ways of reasoning that we described. Because they start with the feeling probably, just like, just like I was saying, my inquiry in knowledge starts always with this want, mm-hmm. right? With this desire. I think that their inquiry starts also with this want. The problem is that they go and look, they, their uh, search, their, the tools that they use, and the conclusion that they find, it is informed by those initial feelings. They're, it's the confirmation bias, mm-hmm. right? They're looking exclusively for things that will confirm mm-hmm. that. And if they find a community that is in agreement with what they yes. say, forget it. There is no, because then They're you unstoppable. have. Yeah, then it's not just you confirming what you think, it's you and the. And, I mean, we all look for confirmation, right? This is why we have conversations, right? Uh, this is why, you know, working in a study group is better than working by yourself uh, because you're looking for confirmation. You're looking for the other person telling you, yeah, you're not crazy, right? 
and you're right. I I feel the same way. This is all this podcast is right at the, at the end of the day. We, uh, we are kind of uh, talking to each other, and so we are kind of trying to figure out if we are nuts thinking the things that we mm-hmm. think. But I also think that the fact that we put this into this larger space and that people listen to this, right? This is also we do this also because we want people to reaffirm what we think again we're not being flagged yet as nuts uh, that we know of but all that we know of true uh, but this also hopefully serves other people search for meaning and confirmation right there is a healthy aspect to being confirmed <laughs> by others because mm-hmm. otherwise we are in the dichotomy constantly and you, there's no way to live yeah, and I think at the at the end of the day, we're winding up in many ways back where we started when we were talking about things coming from a place of fear and things yeah. coming from a place of laziness and things coming from a place of, like, I want to preserve myself. Um, things coming from a place of, I don't want to be an outcast. You know, I want, I want the smile, I want the thumbs up, right? Like I want the like button because that makes me feel a certain way. And in in this way, it relates to everything, you know, we could keep talking about this in relation to social media or whatever, but that would be, you know, another 18 hours. Absolutely. And to, you know, to use, to use a couple of, of words, it might sound a little bit technical. I think is the the weird uh, the weird loop in which we oh, are. Oh yes, yes. Uh, uh, you did it like three times in this episode, I think. I know <laughs> that's I, a record. I, I haven't done it in a while. I haven't done it in a while, so I need to bring <laughs> it back. Um, so I think that we put ourselves into this weird situation where um, instead of looking for autonomy, as Kant would say, you know, right. We're look, constantly looking for heteronomy. We don't want to be. We want to be directed by somebody mm-hmm. else, rather than directing ourselves. Uh, again, that is comforting. That it's easier. Uh, it requires less work. And at the end of the day, I think that the the only difference that might be between what I think about this and what you think about this is the fact that I believe that we are led to search for heteronomy while you maybe think that by nature we are we are sheeps you know it's uh, it's funny that you say that because in if like from the first two minutes of the episode i'm like you know i think the difference is he thinks human nature is more intrinsically good and I think human nature is more intrinsically bad. And that's the whole conversation. And here we come back around. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we need to have a we need to have a conversation about human nature one of these days. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for today, I right? I think so. We can keep going forever, but we gotta cut it. Hey, uh guys enjoy the spring. That's coming up. Absolutely. And uh, a little shout out for the people listening to us from Korea. Oh yeah, shout out to the <laughs> South Koreans listening here. That was that was a uh, I don't know, maybe it was a VPN. Maybe it's real people, who knows. But thank you guys. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. See See you around. around.